Welcome to Out of Left Field with Bart Gregory and Charlie Winfield. For the next hour, it's all college football. And it's brought to you by Farm Bureau, Go With the Home Team, Country Police and Sausage, and Cannon Ford of Starkville. Nobody beats a cannon deal, nobody. And now, here are your hosts, Bart Gregory and Charlie Winfield. And welcome to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield. We had our Sunday coffee this past week. Now we're kind of getting settled in during the off week. And tell you what, Charlie, we may play well this weekend. <laughs> well, I might have a better Saturday. We'll see how that turns out. But the off week comes at a really, really good time for everybody involved. Now, what I wish, and I expect a lot of other people would never admit to wishing in the coach's office, is that on the other side of that off week was Vanderbilt instead of Alabama. But nevertheless, we'll worry about that next week. State coming off a 28-14 loss against Texas A&M. We got together on Sunday and had our Sunday coffee, and so much of that discussion was about the, the mental state and trying to learn the offense. And I think about the ability to block. Well, I think, I think that was one of the big things, and we kind of fell upon – just the ability to uh, to kind of figure it all out. Yeah, and I don't know if you saw the tweet that came out that I thought was really interesting that said that in that ball game, Texas A&M blitzed Mississippi State twice, and yet we gave up more pressures, hurries, sacks than any other team in college football this past weekend, save for the service academies. So define blitz. Was it more than four guys? Is that what they're saying? Because they had four-man front, they brought more than four twice. I think I can remember one of those, and we talked about that, that third down and long when it was jailbreak. But, yeah, Texas A&M kind of picked their times. They did a lot of loops on the outside. They, they Sometimes when they went three-man front, they really lined up wide. You know, sometimes the trouble has been earlier in the year about getting through double teams, but then Texas A&M decided to go wide. And that's the reason you have the splits is because teams get that angle on the outside. So let me let me ask you. We we go back and we broke down so many things on Sunday, and it all everybody says what is wrong with this football team, and I think we've ruled out defense. They're good, yeah, or at least playing well. We've ruled out special teams. They're okay. They're not killing you, save mm-hmm. for the block punt. But overall, in a macro sense, they're not hurting you. So it goes back to the offense, and then you drill down and say what's wrong with the offense, and you hear two things. You hear KJ Costello not throwing it like he needs to. And then I think the thing that I keep coming back to is just not blocking. And whether it's mental, whether it's physical, whatever it is, that's the thing to me that ultimately has us where we are. Agree or disagree? I agree. Um, And I had not really thought of this until I saw a tweet by Brandon Langlois, the sports information director, a couple of days ago about how many guys this season have taken their first snap at Mississippi State. How many young guys? And you start thinking about how many times we talked about on a post-game show about, man, the freshman here, the freshman there. I mean, everything's going through the freshman, wide receiver here. And it really got me to thinking, Charlie, about, you know, 2016, 17, 18, about some of these recruiting classes, about kind of how we got here with with the roster. Um, yeah, I had a guy ask me that on the sidewalk, you know, one of our listeners. We need to come up with a nickname for our listeners. I don't know what they would be. But he walks up and he says, his name is Seth. And he says, hey, 
I mean, do you think it's a talent situation? Do you think it's a talent situation? I hate saying that because it feels like we're impugning the guys that are out there. But that being said, there's kind of two elements of talent, right? There is the element of you're just not any good. In this case, that could be a talent issue. And then there's an element of talent. You may be good, but you're inexperienced. I think what we're dealing with right now is we've got a lot of guys who may be good, but are inexperienced. And then we have what I think we're missing. If you go back to 2014, 15, you look at that defense that we had in 2017, you not only had some NFL guys, you had some top-of-the-draft NFL guys. I don't see a lot of top-of-the-draft NFL guys on this team right now. And it seemed like all those guys came in at one time. And that kind of got me to thinking, and I just pulled it up right here. 2017, signing class. Okay, let's right, so this is coming off this is coming off the that, six and seven year. This <laughs> well, is coming we off block a field goal to win a bowl game against Miami of Ohio. Yeah. Wouldn't ball state, it was Miami of Ohio. We went five and seven that year, and we um you start looking at that signing class, and you know, uh, let's be honest, okay? Dan was trying to get out of here. Dan, now wait a minute, you're not going to impugn. No, the and great it, Dan Mullen. No, and it, before eh. before huh, before I get started, <laughs> this is not a jaded this is not a jaded situation where I, hey that's the part of that's the part of this business okay, coaches may tell you all day long they're not looking but just let's think about the lifespan of a coach, you know Dan, changing agents and look I mean he he was going he was leaving he was trying to figure out a way to go to the next venture and. A lot of coaches are like that, Vic Schaefer. And they may tell you how much they love the town and how much they love the folks, and that's what makes it tough for, because people sometimes are gullible and they don't understand it. But that's the way it is in the, in the business world. But back to my point, you're coming off a five and seven year where you did not play well at all. You had a defense and a defensive coordinator who was just not very good. Okay? So in 2017, we put together a signing class. How do you do that? How did Jackie Sherrill try to go from decent to really good? Well, in the late 90s, he went there heavily with JUCO guys. You Junior J.J. Johnson and Ashley Cooper and Eric Brown. You could go and a running ton of defensive linemen. Yes. So you look at 2017 with the signing class, and I pulled that up. Brian Cole, great player, all right? But gone. He's gone now. He gone. These are the guys who should be the seniors on your team, okay? And this is not a knock at all of any of the guys that are here, but I, I want to read the list of the 2017 signees and see who is contributing right now as a senior. Okay. Okay. Brian Cole, he gone. Montez Sweat. Gone. Gone. Willie Gay. Gone. Three years. He gone. Chauncey Rivers, junior college, again, gone. Jonathan Abram, junior college, gone. Lee Autry, also on an NFL roster, junior college, gone. Tommy Champion, community college player from Colin. Good heavens, I'd forgotten we signed that many JUCO guys. Gone. Colin Hill, okay, senior on this year's team. Noah Ellis from Highlands Ranch, Colorado. Tyler Williams opted out this year on the defensive side. Dion Pope, junior college guy. Tyler Dunning, inside linebacker from Fort Lauderdale. Keaton Thompson. Who's transferred out. Gone. 
Jaquarius Landrews, junior college guy, gone. Austin Williams, still here. Tucker Day, still here. Cordavian Suggs. Tyree Phillips, junior college guy, NFL. Josh Cooper, guard from Halton, Louisiana. Landon Gidry from Thompson Station, Tennessee. Aaron Odom from Callaway High School. Montravius Richardson from Albany, Georgia. James Jackson from Pascagoula. And Jaquavius Collins from Jackson, Georgia. That's your 2017 signing class. So right. let me let me let's 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 think about this, okay? What did we say in 2000, 2001 when Jackie Sherrill signed all those guys? Michael Oyefusobi, Khalil, Khalil Nash. Nash. Yeah, half those guys weren't any good. All right, this group was good, but at the end of the Arizona day, Arizona Western, right? <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, they were going to push us from good to great, but. Looking at how you have to recruit after having so many guys contribute to your program from a junior college standpoint, you better backfill in a hurry, and you better backfill well. And so what happened in 2018 with the signing class? Dan Mullen leaves. You got a new coaching staff. They have to kind of hold the fort. You probably kind of knew toward the end of that season, Dan Mullen and that staff knew that they were leaving. We have completely offended – Every offensive lineman's parents in the state of Mississippi over a 10-year period, and now all of a sudden we got a backfield. And I thought Joe Moorhead did a pretty good job of getting involved in recruiting. I think Joe was very hard in recruiting. So I say all that to say this. Man, I tell you what, you start looking at who should be your seniors on this team. And, hey, even a step further, in Dan's recruiting, did you not look at so much of – how you redshirted so many guys. I'd even look at that 2016 list to see who's going to be your fifth-year your fifth year seniors. Well, I pulled it up, and, and look, I, I guess I could kind of break it down a couple of ways, right? The first is if you sign somebody who is good enough to play three years and leave, hats off to us. Oh, yeah. You know, no hard feelings there. If you've got a, a Willie Gay, you've got a Jeffrey Simmons who was in that 16 class, then so be it. I think when you go JUCO, and when you go JUCO heavy, you just have to understand that that's a drug you have to keep taking. <laughs> you can't yeah. you can't come off of it very easily. And I guess I did not recall just how heavy in 17 we were. I've pulled up the, the 2016 class. Jeff Simmons, you know, yeah, a generational player. Kobe Jones, Marquis Spencer. So there's two guys that are playing for you. Uh, Errol Thompson. And then all of a sudden, you start kind of running out of names. Greg Island's on the list, Darian Parker, uh, and Osiris Mitchell. So you've got some guys in that class. Uh, but what, in fact, that class, by the way, ranked 11th in the recruiting rankings for whatever those are worth. But that was with Jeffrey Simmons, who was one of the top players in the country. He was nationally like a top 20 player. And. So, again, another year where you just didn't have as much depth as you wanted. Okay, so, okay, 2018, we're going to be up against a break in just a second, but 2018 real quick. So, we're talking about upperclassmen now. We're talking about this year's juniors, okay? Devontae Jason, gone. He was your your top recruit, four-star guy. Dollar Bill, who's now on the offensive line, okay? Jaden Crumity, solid player. Steven Guidry, he gone. 
Jalen Maiden, third-string quarterback. Marcus Murphy, really good player. Fabian Lovett, he gone. Aaron Brule turned into a pretty good player on defense. Uh, Jaquarius Spivey, that's a tight end. Yeah, just in his offense. I mean, this in this offense. Nathaniel Watson, Asias Furge. Furge has really come on well. He's a guy that's been in the program. He's finally getting his start right now. Jalen Reed from Olive Branch. Sean Preston from St. James, Louisiana, finally getting, you know, going a little bit. Jet Johnson in the two deep. He's from Tupelo. Cameron Jones from Starkville. Cameron Young from Franklin uh, County High School. Brad Cumbus, tight end. Cam Gardner from here, here in Starkville. Uh, Malik Heath has finally gotten here and, uh, and, and is contributing now. So I say all that to say this. Just looking at the guys who were recruited in the signing classes of 16, 17, and 18, there's no wonder the defense is ahead of the offense. How many guys did we just talk about who have kind of played their way up and through, waited their turn, and are now playing? A guy like Asias Furge, a guy, you know, Asias Furge, Aaron Brule, Sean Preston, Jet well, Johnson in the 2D. I mean, you start looking at the guys who have been in the program a while and been in the Division One program, yeah, the defense is probably ahead of the offense right now just on experience. Well, what's the biggest name that we have called out all on the offensive side? Osiris Mitchell out of that class? Is that the biggest name that we've listed? Other than Callan Hill. I mean, there. I mean, that that's – Yeah, who didn't play the last game? So, I think, you know, I look back, and I don't, like I said, I don't want to lay the blame – on you know being jaded no but, it, but, but i think you make a fair point but and it, that is this it's what happened to we saw it with jackie yeah you if you go that route it's really hard to come out of it unless you've got a really good plan so the whole thing rely you know kind of makes this point how big is this year recruiting for mike leach it's huge it's huge Especially, and it will be. He's a first-year guy, as far you know, as far as being an offensive genius. He will get guys in here. I've got no doubt about that on the offensive side. This will get shored up on the offensive side. But at the end of the day, not a knock at the guys that are here, but how many guys were signed in that 16, 17, 18 that should be your upperclassmen right now that just are not even close to the program right now. So anyway, that's just a, a, a thought that I had. We'll come back. We've got a good show for you today. Hunter Renfro going to join us later in the show. He's live from the bubble in the World Series last night, Tampa. Even the series with the Dodgers, one game apiece in the World Series. And we'll talk about some other things right here on the off week of Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Farm Bureau, they have agents in every county in the state of Mississippi. Great service. We talk about it every week. And uh, I've talked to several people who have made the change to Farm Bureau, and they understand right now just about how great that service is. And you're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Go with the home team, Farm Bureau. Charlie, I feel like I almost have to apologize. I felt like I was playing a little negative there in that first segment. I wouldn't try to be. I wouldn't try. Did I come across as negative in any way? I think it was the great Jack Crystal who once said, I'm not being negative. I'm just reporting the facts. <laughs> as he was <laughs> as he was recounting a, 
now, a you poorly and, scored game. You and Wyatt gave me a hard time the other night in the post game. You said I was playing with an edge. I was angry, Bart. <laughs> so I don't. I don't think I reached that 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 stage yet. So one of the things that we did in the spring, and I got to thinking about it. You know, a country pleasing sausage. A country pleasing. Saw Henry the other day. Henry Cooper, Cooper's country meat packers down on uh, Highway 49 in Florence, producing the best sausage known to man. Country pleasing sausage. Pineapple pork, you got the just the plain jalapeno cheddar. Man, it's all good at Country Pleasing Sausage. And back during the spring when we were doing our baseball show, this is the time when we kind of look back at Bulldog history, and that was one of the most favorite things that I did. So I thought about, hey, since it's the off week, something kind of crazy, because I asked this question last week to somebody, and we kind of played off of it and talked a little bit about it, about who's the first guy – and I'm going to ask you this question. Football, baseball, basketball. Football first. Who's the first guy that you really remember? The guy that really stands out to you? One of the one of the guys that when you were beginning to really understand Mississippi State sports that you just remember? All right. So the first player that I remember by name and remember knowing about, but I couldn't have told you what he did, was Walter Packer. Yeah. Walter Packer running back in the mid-'70s. You know, he's like a tennis pro over in Georgia now. Really? Yeah, big-time tennis guy. You know, he was a 1,000-yard rusher in the mid-'70s, so uh, Walter Packer. And then there was Marty McDole, number 88. He had the tearaway jersey, didn't he? Oh, yeah, those were the best, man. You could go. So <laughs> grab a guy by the jersey and just keep running. So those guys in football, Walter Packer, then Marty McDole, and then, of course, you had the John Bond and – uh, we talked on the postgame show the other day, though, about how you always want the backup quarterback. I remember being a passionate defender of Tim Parrington, uh, <laughs> who I wanted at times to place a bond. But, yeah, so I'd say Walter Packer, but in terms of actual on-the-field play, Marty McDole for me in football. Yeah, John Baum was one of those for me. Don Smith. You know the guy I can remember first? Kirby Jackson. And I, let me tell you why Kirby Jackson. Played a lot of years in the NFL with Buffalo Bills. The reason that Kirby Jackson stood out to me is because he was from Sturgis, and Sturgis played in Anahuaia. I remember just my dad saying, hey, that, that guy right there is from Sturgis. And I followed Kirby Jackson. Of all people, Kirby Jackson. But then you start thinking about guys like Michael Haddix and John Bond. Yeah, Haddix was one of those deep backs in that wishbone. You remember the first game you came to? Yes, I do. It was the homecoming game, I believe, in 1980, where Southern beat us something like 42 to 14 or something like that. Was that the that was John Bond and Reggie Collier? Is that right? Were those the quarterbacks? I think that's right. Wow, that was some matchups. And then the first game I went to in Jackson, though, was that same year. So I kind of redeemed myself. I saw the uh, State Six Alabama three. Oh, you were one of the 245,000? Yeah, I was there. I was there. <laughs> My first game I ever came to was Colorado State and Mississippi State in 1984. I remember where I was sitting. I was sitting on the goal line on the northwest side. I guess it would be like Section 6 right now. And we came to that game, and there was a guy from Louisville who was the backup quarterback, Land. Was it Chris Land? I can't remember. He was the backup no, quarterback. For who? For, for us. For Will Land. Will, Will Land. Land. Yeah, the middle Will brother of the three. Yeah, Dr. Land's son was a backup quarterback. We came up here in 1984, and I was, what, seven years old at the time. And so that was the first game I ever came to. So what about uh, men's basketball? First guy. Ricky Brown. 
And the thing I remember about Ricky Brown was he went on to play for the Golden State Warriors. And I, so I remember some in the late 70s. There was Cal Patrick Wells. Yep. And I remember Greg Graham getting thrown out of a game at Alabama that I was watching on TV as a kid. So those are some of my first basketball memories. It was back in the Jim Hatfield days. Wow. You've heard the story about Hatfield, right, Mr. C? No. You never heard of the Jim Hatfield story? No. Oh, I don't know if this is made. I'm going to try to dumb this down so we can put this on the air. Jim, Jim Hatfield, they were at Alabama one year, and Mr. C did not like Jim Hatfield. I don't think anybody thinks that's any kind of knowledge that shouldn't be out there. Not a terribly controversial point. No, uh, no, he he was not a big fan. So they're at, they're at Alabama playing basketball, and Alabama is notorious for their 2-3 zone. I've never told you this story? No. Okay. So they go to shoot around that day over in the Coleman Coliseum, the bunker, and Hatfield sets up five folding chairs, okay, as a 2-3 zone, and they run their offense through those 2-3 zone folding chairs. And Hatfield thought he was just – he was a genius. He, he thought he was coming up with the greatest thing ever. So they worked for an hour and a half – running their offense through five folding chairs. And after practice is over, he had this smile on his face, and he said, well, Jack, what did you think of the practice? He says, Hatfield, you're a genius. Alabama starts five folding chairs. We're going to whip their butt. <laughs> and, of course, that is a dumbed-down version. But if they if Alabama starts five folding chairs, we got them. We got them <laughs> right, right where we want them. You know, that does remind me, though, my, my favorite basketball memory as uh, as a young kid was – I guess it was about 1982 or so, Mississippi State was playing Georgia and Dominique Wilkins. Do you remember Dominique Wilkins? Yes. So Mississippi State's up one, and there is one second left in the game. Georgia has a timeout. They're at the, at the scorer's table on the inbounds. That's Bob Boyd, right? Oh, yeah, and uh, Hugh Durham was the coach at Georgia. <laughs> and so there's one second left. Georgia's down one with the basketball inbounds from midcourt. And as Georgia is leaving the bench, Dominique Wilkins says to a guard on their team, you better knock this down. And the guard says back to him, well, you just set the pick and I'll make it. And so Mississippi State's team's all hearing this. Georgia gets the ball. They slap it. Dominique rolls to set the pick, and everybody takes off after the would-be shooter. He rolls off of it, takes the alley-oop, and dunks it. And it looks like Georgia's won. But Kelvin Hildreth, or 33, out of Los Angeles, takes the charge. They wave off the alley-oop dunk. We ended up making like nine free throws and win by ten. Really? Waved off the alley-oop dunk. And I bet he went – he said he just went nuts. Hugh Durham got four technical fouls, and he never did leave the floor. You know, now they'd have security come get you. But Hugh Durham, <laughs> he was still out on the field, out on the court, ranting and raving as we were making free throws. That's back Butch Pierre, Jeff Malone. Oh, Butch Pierre. Man, you talk about a great guy. Great guy. You know, his son was like a GA a couple of years ago. He had twin sons. That was another Jack memory right there when he cussed out a ball boy at LSU. That was but just because he was being rude to Butch Pierre's son. He loved, he loved Butch Pierre. Loved Butch Pierre. Mine was Greg Lockhart. I mean, that's a, I know that's yeah. a name. Greg Lockhart and those, those teams in the mid-'80s, late-'80s, and then all of a sudden you got up to Tony Watts and the Cameron Burns. and I mean, Those are the guys that, that I kind of grew up with as far as men's basketball. I can't let a basketball reference go without mentioning Chauncey Robinson. 
Yeah. Because listening to Bob Boyd yell Chauncey the whole game. You know, they said that was uh, when they had the old McCarthy gym that they would roll those bleachers down to the floor. And at that time, it was legal to have cowbells. I mean, it was it was legal to have cowbells in the arena. And it was like 2,000 people, 2,500. And, man, they were just ringing them. They said some guy had brought a plow, okay, and hung it from the rafters. He had tied it up with a rope and hung that plow with the rafters. And he had a sledgehammer, one of those small sledgehammers. He was banging that plow when we were playing Tennessee. And Tennessee had a – I think a, we, we were hit by a, by one point with 10 seconds to go. Guy gets fouled. And at that time, when you went to the free throw line, if it got too loud, you could give the ball back to the official. And so the guy goes to the free throw line. The place goes crazy. They're banging that plow. and They're ringing the cowbells. And the guy gives the ball back to the official. Well, then – he steps back to the free throw. It gets quiet. He gets steps back to the free throw line, and then it gets loud again. He gives the ball back to the official. Well, the official comes over tells Babe McCarthy, this is all coming from Jack Crystal. And it, it, I love him telling the story. And says, Babe, listen, you're going to have to quiet these folks down so he can shoot these free throws. All right. So back in those days, it was nothing for a coach to get on the, on the, the public address. And Babe McCarthy – got mad because they came over and told him. And so he says, all right, guys, listen, we need y'all to be quiet so this boy can miss these two free throws and we can go to the house. And he missed both free throws and we won by one. That's a basketball story for you. Okay, baseball. Who's the first guy you think of in baseball? <laughs> first guy I remember was Steve Susie. Really? Yeah, pitcher. Yeah. He's the first guy I remember watching play for Mississippi State. Isn't he like a ticket broker now? Could be. I don't know. But, yeah, Steve Susie and uh, – Seems like our catcher maybe was John McDonald back then. So those are kind of the first memories I have. Was John McDonald the first knock it out John guy, or was that John Mitchell? I don't know, but I would like to take the knock it out John reference and just disassociate. Oh, yeah. okay, All right. Not a fan of Jerry Clower. I'm not taking. I'm just what I'm taking it as. You're not a fan of Jerry Clower. I mean, route to Liberty. I get it, but let's move on. My first baseball guy was, and we're taking a look back at Bulldog history. Brought to you by Country Pleasing Sausage. The guy that I think of in baseball, and here's the reason why. This is this is a sappy and crazy. The first guy I would think of is Rafael Palmero, and it's not what you think. Boy, could you be any more cliche? Exactly. But let me tell you why. In second grade, you remember they used to have school days on the farm? He's your favorite Yankee Babe Ruth. I mean, come on. <laughs> you school days on the farm where they bring all the kids in from local elementary schools, and you go over to the vet school, and they got the, the cow with the hole in the side, you know? Yeah. And by the way, the, I think they put a glass in the side of it now, but back in those days they didn't, and the cow sloshed like all kind of innards on some, you know, like green grass on some poor girl from another school, and she puked and puked and puked. We all thought it was like the funniest thing ever. But – the guy leading us around. So you were a jerk then, too. <laughs> yes. Okay. I didn't grow into this. The The guy that, that toured us around had a mustache, and I was convinced it was Rafael Palmero because when I got to the ballpark the first time and opened up you know, the, the magazine, opened up the game program, and I saw Rafael Palmero, I said, that's the guy that toured us around on school days on the farm. I, I need to ask Rafael that if he ever worked for the vet school. And did anything like that because I was convinced it was Rafael Palmero. So Rafael Palmero was my favorite because he was our tour guide on the, and he may not have been, but I thought he was at school days on the farm. I tell you what, Charlie, if you're listening to the show right now, here's what I want to do. Let's see how many people listen to this. Okay. 
think back to your first memory in Mississippi State. Think back to the first person you thought of at Mississippi State. And I don't care if you're listening to this tonight on Thursday night. I don't care if you're listening to this on Monday. Tweet us at Bart and Charlie, at Bart and Charlie, or send it to me, at Bart Gregory, at Charlie Winfield. And let's get these all week. Just all of a sudden, arbitrarily, just boom, there you go. Ashley Cooper, at Bart Gregory, Ashley Cooper. You know what I'm saying? So let's, let's see who your favorite guys are. First track athlete. First women's basketball player. First track athlete. I remember it was Lorenzo Daniel. Remember Gary Frank that played defensive line for State through shot put? He won like the NCAA championship, yeah, didn't he? He was pretty good at track. So that's a look back at Bulldog history brought to you by Country Pleasing Sausage. Is it too late to mention Eddie Hornback, by the way? Yes. Okay. I'm mentioning Eddie Hornback. Eddie Hornback? You don't remember him, the defensive lineman, bald guy from the coast? He went to Notre Dame of as course. a quarterback. Of course he did. And when he came back and he was a defensive end, and he was just um, – A Notre Dame guy. Let's say he played with an edge. Okay. All the way through the whistle. I had an edge Saturday night after the after the <laughs> football game. So that's a look back at Bulldog history brought to you by Country Pleasing Sausage. Hey, tr- tweet us the, the first people you remember is, is in your Mississippi State lifetime. And don't, don't tweet us Dak Prescott. Do do not. I'm telling you right now. Do not tweet us, Dak Prescott, because if that's your first memory of Mississippi State football, you need to uh, you need to dip into the history books a little bit more. So that's a look back at Bulldog history, brought to you by Country Pleasing Sausage. We'll be back and talk to Hunter Renfro with the Tampa Bay Devil Rays. It's just the Rays now. The Tampa Bay Rays, who last night evened up the series in the World Series with the Los Angeles Dodgers. You're listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. And welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Time now for our guest line segment. This week brought to you by our friends at Cannon Ford of Start. Well, Cannon Ford, nobody beats a Cannon deal. Nobody. Cannon Ford, if you need work on your car, the service department is phenomenal. If you want to buy a new or used car, go by and see them. Chris Keen and the gang at Cannon Ford of Start. Well, they'll get you something nice to ride in. So this segment brought to you by Cannon Ford of Start. And so let's go to the phones where Hunter Renfro, outfielder with the Tampa Bay Rays, joins us from the bubble of the World Series. Hunter, I guess it's good and bad, man, about being in the World Series. The positive is you're playing in a once-in-a-lifetime type situation in the World Series. The negative is, man, you've missed 22 days of the bow hunting season in Mississippi. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's been pretty um, pretty weird, you know, just being in uh, this bubble and honestly we've been here in a bubble for over an, over a month, really, uh, you know, preparing for the postseason and, and, and the World Series and, and quarantine and stuff. So it's been a very weird season in that in that fact. But uh, you know, not being home, and it's and it's October twenty twenty first, twenty second. I don't even know what day it is, and, and uh, I, I don't know. It's weird just playing in October, but obviously, it's a great experience and a great opportunity for us to play for the World Series. And you know, I wouldn't change it for the world. What's a day like in the bubble? I mean, how is it? I mean, can you go out to eat? I mean, can you? Do you have to take every all the food in your room? What's a day off like? I mean, I know you spent a lot of that time in San Diego, where you spent the early part of your major league career. But were you able to in, enjoy it and go out at all, or do you have to pretty much stay in the hotel? So it's it's different here and a different San Diego, and it was different in, in Tampa. So um, in St. Pete, 
we had a uh, hotel that was not completely sold out. So we literally couldn't do anything. We literally couldn't leave the room. Uh, we went from our rooms to get tested, uh, saliva tested, and then we'd go back to the room. And then we go from the room to get food, which was supplied by the hotel. And then we'd go to the buses. That's it. You literally couldn't do anything else. Uh, we had one spot where we could go, and it was like a little bar area. You'd go there and hang out a little bit, but you still couldn't go hang out with more than like four people. And then uh, once we got to San Diego, uh, it was a completely sold out resort, basically style hotel where it was like on golf course, bigger ground. So we were able to, to get out, uh, even on our off day, go golf uh, with only two people at a time. And then we had, you know, like a virtual golf simulator, uh, putting greens. We had uh, toys and stuff for the kids. So it was a, it was a whole lot better experience in San Diego uh, once we got there and, and got everything situated. And, and, uh, we're, and now we're, obviously we were there for, you know, probably two weeks. So that was uh, a joy to be there. But now we got here. It's a little bit different. We're on a golf course still. You know, today we got an off day today. So we are probably going to either go to the pool uh then i think we got some uh, pumpkin pumpkin painting and stuff like that for the kids they have a halloween uh trick-or-treating thing tonight i think so um uh, i think it's gonna be fun but you know it's, it's weird like because you can't you can't order outside food you can't leave the hotel to go get food you have to order you have to eat what the hotel either supplies you know via re- room service or what the hotel has catered in uh, from outside source that we don't even know where it comes from. So the Texas Rangers thought they would be opening this new ballpark this year to show it off to the world, but instead they're having to show it off to the world through TV uh, and with the Rays and the Dodgers yeah. playing, not the Texas Rangers. But I'm curious, <laughs> how do you like the layout of the field? How's the setup there at the stadium for you guys? Um, it's pretty cool. I mean, I, this is my first time ever playing here, um, I think. Uh, I played in the old Texas Stadium. Um, as an outside looking in, you know, the old Texas Stadium uh, to me was beautiful. You know, the, all the outside decorations and all the uh, the plaster work and so like that. So uh, to me, it was beautiful. Obviously, the, the field itself, the, the stadium itself uh, needed a big time revamp. And I think that's what they were looking forward to. And obviously, uh, getting it covered, giving it some air conditioning, uh, protecting it from the weather and rain. Um, so that in that fact, you know, it's going to be a huge upside. And uh, like I said, the stadium is beautiful. Um, it's 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 big. It's probably one of the biggest things I've ever been to in my life. Um, as far as like just dimensions, uh, seating, roof closure. I mean, it is it is monstrous. And to be able to uh, play in a World Series, I think is pretty cool. It sucks that we can't feel the seats all the way, obviously, um, and hear it completely packed out because it would be something special. But I think it's a beautiful stadium, like I said, and, and uh, I think it's going to be awesome once they get to fill those stadiums completely. Talking to Hunter Renfro, outfielder with the Tampa Rays, and, of course, Hunter spending time here 2011-2013. And, Hunter, looking at this year's team, and we'll talk briefly about this year's team, you've got a lot of young guys. It's uh, It's been much publicized about the, the, the small payroll compared to the Dodgers and, and the Yankees. And, you know, coming into the AL East now, the first time you jump over to the American League, 
it just seems like you guys as a team, and I think back to that 2013 team when you guys went to the College World Series, it looked like you had a lot of fun. You kind of had, had a lot of relationships off the field with that team. This team kind of looks similar to me with the Tampa Rays this year, a young team. You've got some rookies that are playing well. You've got some guys that have been around for a while, but it looks like you guys are just having fun. I mean, yeah, I think that's kind of the whole part of it. It's like, you know, there's some guys on this team that, that, that came up through the minor league system together uh, organizationally, and, and then obviously they brought some guys in that have certain, you know, styles of what they do as far as pitching and, and, and defense or, or what have you. And I think it's, it's pretty fun, too, because, like I said, everybody's, around the same age you know you don't have this huge age gap for a lot of the guys and and you know there's not there's not any big egos on this team so I think that's kind of part of it you know there's there's not a certain guy that that they expect to to be doing certain things and, and everybody just takes their role and, and runs with it I think that's kind of the, the whole atmosphere where everybody kind of embraces their their role in the team and and they go about their day and, and their work and I think it works really well for us and and you know, like I said, we're a very huge, like a very scrappy group. You know, that's our we they call our our, our bullpen and, and our pitching staff the stable. And and uh, I I was joking with them the other day that they had they got cowboy hats when, they, when we got to Texas, and they're all wearing their cowboy hats and stuff like that. I was like, why don't we get a cowboy hat? Because because you're not part of the the uh, the stable or you know, or the bullpen or whatever like that. And I was like, well, guess what? We're gonna be riding y'all like cowboys all the way through the World Series because. Y'all been taking us this far. We're gonna ride y'all the rest of the way. So we might as well be cowboys too. So, but uh, but it's pretty funny because you know, obviously our pitching staff is an, an incredible, and and you know hats off to those guys. Hunter, we had a chance a few months ago. We had a a great visit. We had Lane Burroughs, Butch Thompson on for an entire hour <laughs> together, and just let those guys sit around and tell stories about coming to Mississippi State, recruiting different players, and one of the things that we talked about was recruiting Hunter Renfro and basically going down and watching you get walked all game uh, and mm-hmm. then having to have somebody throw batting practice to you afterwards. I'm kind of curious what you remember about being recruited by Mississippi State and what it was that kind of set you on the path to Starville. Um, yeah, so one of the things was I think uh, Lane obviously did a wonderful job um, for us, and he uh, he was probably one, one of the best guys I've ever met as far as a coach and a friend and a recruiter, but um, you know, I think it was probably my junior year. You know, I started getting some phone calls at the end of the year, and, and uh, actually, one of my first phone calls I ever received uh, on that day that you can get called. I don't know what day it is, but uh, my first call was from Ron Polk, and you know, he wanted to just tell me how proud he was, and and tell him who he was, and where he was doing, what was everything was going on, and dialed on their radar, and he was. You know, happy for me, and and they keep in touch anyway. So then Butch called and and had a few other calls, but uh, you know, my junior year, Lane, you know, kept up with me and and kept calling me and telling me, you know, either worry they're interested and they're trying to get all their you know their stuff right on their end, and and then my senior year rolled around and it's football season and and you can only call a certain guy like I think once a week or something. I don't even know the details, but. Um, he could call me like every Friday and it was, it was like clockwork. You know, I was usually, uh, watching a movie somewhere, uh, preparing for a Friday night football game. He'd call me and we'd catch up and he'd ask me you know, how everything's going and, and make sure I'm healthy and, and let me know like, Hey, we don't have a spot open for you right now, but listen, like 
soon as the spot's open, you know, you're right there. Like if you if you wanted to prefer walk on, like you're you're on our team, but we don't have a uh, necessarily a, a spot open for you for a scholarship yet. And so you know the whole season started rolling around. I started getting a little bit more few off you know calls and and talking to people and had an Ole Miss call and then literally call one time and went to their one of their camps at Ole Miss and and hadn't didn't have another phone call until literally after I committed to Mississippi State. You know, Lane was one of the ones where he continued to call me every single week and came and watched me a few times. And like I said, like it was a tough opportunity for somebody to come see me my senior year because, you know, if you didn't come watch me the first, I guess, few weeks, you know, I was really intentionally walked like every time. So uh, a lot of scouts got really aggravated with that. So like I said, he would they watch me after the game, hit BP and, and what have you. But he, like I said, he kept, he kept on me. You know, every week he'd call me, call me, call me. And it got to where the draft came and Corey Dickerson got drafted by the Rockies. And that was the scholarship that I eventually ended up taking. And I got drafted by Boston. And uh, I think that was kind of one of people's biggest scare in college was that I was going to be drafted by major leagues and go. But I was, I had no interest in going out of high school, none. And so after that, after that Corey accepted his uh, signing bonus and stuff like that. He, they, it was Butch and, and John came and watched me in Millington, Tennessee. And, uh, and they told my high school, not high school, but my travel ball coach that they wanted to see me pitch, catch, and play outfield. And, and uh, I did. I did really well. And, and right after the game, they offered me a scholarship. I told them, obviously, I wanted to go to Mr. State my whole entire career. And that's what I wanted to do. So uh, they, they offered to me. And I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to have to talk to my family about it. <laughs> and kind of played it cool. But then we went home and I talked to my family and we made sure all the financial stuff was right for us. And, and uh, I accepted it pretty much the next morning. Talking to Hunter Renfro with the Tampa Bay Rays live from the bubble of the World Series today and off day. You guys have split the first two games of the World Series and getting ready for game three tomorrow. Hunter, before we turn you loose, you know, what's pretty cool is – us as fans and us as guys that kind of watch you guys grow up through the program every night we can watch so many baseball games and you guys are playing whether it be you Jonathan Holder and you know Adam Frazier we talked to Adam Frazier and Wes Ray a few weeks ago about and we they didn't tell any bad stories about you at all I promise they didn't (laughs) but not while we were recording no not while we were recording it didn't make the airwaves but how cool is it for you to be playing at the grandest stage of baseball, something that you undoubtedly dreamed of your entire life, and then all of a sudden you look out on the mound and there's Woody and there's Frazier. And, I mean, how great is it to do, you know, to play? I know it's they're an opponent and you go out there and you want to beat them as bad as you can beat them. But do you guys get to hang out at all when you're on the road? I know this year has been a little bit different, and I know that's one of the things that hasn't been good about the year because you don't have the camaraderie. But for us as fans, man, it's awesome to see. I know as a player it has to be good for you to be able to go into a stadium and see guys that you know. Yeah, I mean, that's for sure. That's It's, it's one of the joys for sure. Like I, I enjoy that more than probably anything. It's like going into a city that – one of your boys have been in and played in, uh, being able to go there, talk to them during, during BP or, or after the game. And, and, you know, I think when we had, we had Woody come to San Diego, I think they've been 2018 or 19. 
uh, had him over. He hadn't been home. He hadn't seen Johnny. It was a long road trip. They had, he hadn't seen, been able to see Johnny for a while. So we had him over to our apartment. We uh, the home cooked meal for him. So it was it's pretty special, you know. So you know we try to get together. Uh, when I go to Pittsburgh, Treasure usually takes me out to to dinner. You know, same with. If he comes to San Diego or comes to Tampa, we take him out for dinner. There's no other way that Frazier ever pays for it, though, is it? <sighs> well, <laughs> I can't say that. He's he's a little tight wide, but I love him to death. He he does his, he does a great job <laughs> what he does. But he's he's loosened up a lot since high, uh, college day, that's for sure. But you know, like I said, we we uh, we try to hook up every time we meet. You know, go to a guy city, uh, Holder, New York, obviously, and and go out to eat and, and have a good time and, and, and let the wives spend some time together. But, yeah, it's definitely fun, especially when you're facing one of the pitchers. You know, that's that's one of the biggest things is, is like, you don't you, ne- you don't necessarily want to hit a home run against them. And you don't – and I'm sure they don't necessarily want to strike you out. But, like, it's just a competitive edge where, you know, you want to do as well as you can against them. And, and of course, I'm going to face Woody in San Diego – I think his three hardest pitches of the night were against me. I was like, what, what the heck's up with that? What are you throwing 96 to everybody else? He threw 100 to me. And he was like, I was just trying to hit you. I was like, all right, whatever. You know, that, that, that's what's pretty cool is, you know, I, I look at you guys and kind of how you've grown. And, you know, you look at Woody. You know, he was throwing, what, 93 in, in, in 2013. And now you look out there and he's popping 100. And you talk about you know seeing a hundred miles an hour, mm-hmm. it, it's it's absolutely crazy. Hunter, hey, I'll give you I'll give you one better. Help. Kendall was throwing eighty eight in college. He's throwing yeah. ninety eight now. <laughs> oh, Kendall, and it's a cut. He's throwing a cutter now. You know he he oh. just relied on that two seam fastball that rode down and in, and now he's got a cutter working. He's throwing ninety seven, ninety eight miles an hour. I mean, what the heck's happened to Kendall? He's nasty. He's bad. That's <laughs> awesome. That's awesome. Bad strength. Hunter, we're proud of you, man. Enjoy the moment. I appreciate it. I will. Thank you. And that's Hunter Renfro live from the bubble of the World Series out in uh, Arlington, Texas. Man, I tell you what, it doesn't get any better than Hunter Renfro. That guy right there tonight, he's really thinking about what he's going to hunt first when they get finished with the World Series. He's going to head down to Kapai County. I hope he's thinking about hunting some fastballs. That's what I'm hoping for. No doubt. Let the spinners go past him. If it's got spin, <laughs> let it go. Man, always great always great to talk to Hunter. We'll come back with a final word here on Out of Left Field. And that uh, conversation brought to you by Cannon Ford of Starkville. This is Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. Well, welcome back. Final segment of Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. Thanks to our sponsors as well, Country Pleasing Sausage and Cannon Ford of Startville. Nobody beats a Cannon deal. Nobody. Bart Gregory, Charlie Winfield. We normally cut off the interviews at about, you know, 10, 11 minutes. We were just having fun with Hunter. So we got a real quick segment here to put the, to put the bow on this one. I wonder how many times people have called him this week and said, hey, I need tickets. Yeah. I don't think people understand how tickets work. Hey, I've got a friend. Hey, you know Hunter Renfro. Could you get me some tickets to the game when he plays in Boston? 
Well, here's the thing. Hunter Renfro's tickets are going to be about 130 bucks a piece, okay? And then the way he's taxed, he's taxed on that tickets, those tickets. He doesn't have to pay for them. So you look at it this way, 130 bucks times four, what, 520 bucks, okay? He's in a tax bracket of about, what, 43%, 40 43%. Let's just say, does Hunter Renfro want to pay $250 out of his pocket for the friend of a friend of a friend to come watch him play? I mean, people don't understand that sometimes about tickets. And I know that's using my rant about asking major league guys or NFL guys for tickets. But, Charlie, we started the show this past Sunday or the past Saturday. Well, we started the show Sunday when the Sunday coffee, the show Saturday night post game, and I asked you pretty much the same question. Make me feel good. Give me something positive. Make me feel good about playing Alabama next week. Okay, no problem. Sure, they're a top-five team. Sure, they're a perennial threat to win the national championship. But here's one thing they don't do well. They do not defend well. They gave up 19 to Missouri, 24 to A&M, 48 to the University of Mississippi, and they gave up 24 to Georgia last week. It's a team that can be scored on. So if you go with the premise that our defense is pretty good, and I think they are, and you go with the premise that I said at the very beginning of the season, you're going to have to outscore some people, maybe just maybe you've got a chance to get your offense back on track and score some points and just plain outscore. Shootout in Tuscaloosa next week. It needs to be a shootout for Mississippi State. Well, we'll come back and offer a little bit more detail next week during the midweek. I'm not predicting a win, by the way. I don't want any hashtag I believe kind of stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Whoever that guy was. We believe. Beating in the teeth. Anyway, we'll come back next week, and we'll talk about Alabama and give you the preview of that game next week. We won't have a Sunday show this week simply because we don't have a Sunday coffee to talk about. But I enjoy those just as much as I have anything else. Just kind of sitting there. We don't have a plan. Just talking. That's kind of what we've done today, to be honest with you, here in the off week. And it's been a lot of fun. We just kind of chatted for the last hour. I'm sleeping in Sunday. Don't call me. (laughs) Don't worry. I'll be up at 5 o'clock with a six-year-old wanting to throw a football, and I got no problem with that at all. Charlie enjoyed it as always. So, folks, I appreciate you joining us. You've been listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau.